guys, do you need a business model? Just uh, write down your answers in the chat. I'll just maybe write. Um, wait for about one minute to see. What do you think? What's the business model is it for, actually? Uh, Eva asked, will the slides be shared afterwards? Um, yeah, I will share the slides after this. Um, but don't worry, the slides are just uh, a compilation of words, something that you can get from Google if you want to, right? But maybe the discussion is more important. But yeah, yeah I will share it. Don't worry about that. Yep. So what is business model, please? I don't have any price, but maybe it's just going to be quite fun to see what you guys think. Um, Parli, since you start, uh, is it okay for you if we record this one? Oh, uh, sure, sure. Just record it. Um, okay. yeah. Thank you. Recording in progress. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so no worries. Maybe people are still shy. Um, it's 10 p.m. over here in Singapore, so I'm not sure. Uh, I bet you guys are all in different parts of the world. Maybe it's still in the morning. Maybe you still haven't got the cup of coffee. Yet. Don't worry about that. So I'll just uh, move on. And just to explain what a business model is, is basically a, a conceptual structure that supports the viability of the business and explains how it operates, makes money, and intends to achieve its goals. So the key word is actually supporting the viability of the business because a business can only run if it actually uh, makes money to cover its own uh, operating costs, right? So what is the benefit of the having this is uh, actually to first provide clarity to our business operations and then to set up the priorities because uh, you can do a lot of things in a business. And if you don't have the set of rules or the boundaries, you can end up doing too many things and go off in a tangent, which is not a good idea. Um, also to create effective and efficient business discussion, develop the accountability, because you'll later learn that um, in the business uh, model canvas, there will be uh, people who are going to be responsible of certain types of um, a process. Also to set the milestone and the metrics, and in the end to actually manage the cash flow because cash flow, uh, what people business people will say is that cash flow is king because you can make as much money as you want in the end, but if you have no cash flow, that business wouldn't be able to run. Yeah. So what's an essential component of a business plan? Essential component of a business plan includes all these. These are the 10 parts. I won't go into explaining all the 10 parts because there's not enough time for that, but now I'm going to be explaining more about how to come up with a business plan from a business model canvas. So business plan usually is essential uh, prior to um, starting up some uh, business because this business plan can actually be made into a pitch deck in the future because you can actually pick and choose what you want to present to the investors as well as to your potential big key partners. So let's do an introduction to the business model canvas. So a, big, a little bit of a background of this uh, business model canvas is that it's a, it's a tool proposed by Alexander Osterwalder in 2008. You don't have to memorize that. It's just, a, it's just a trivia. It enables businesses to focus on operational as well as strategic management and marketing plan. 
we will be able to look at the whole um, business plan in a single page and it's used to design challenge and pivot your business model and usually it's like quite a global standard used by people in companies of all sizes if you are um uh, 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 if you're privileged enough to join like accelerator programs uh from different kinds of like uh incubators or or, or those kind of like uh, funders right they will usually want to see your business model canvas it's one of the standard things that we to show so a uh, quick overview of what a business model canvas looks like will be like this it's stretch how you read it is usually from left to right and from top to bottom um, the left part is talking all about the uh, partners activities and the resources as uh, and as you go along it goes from uh, the what and the who all the way to the how and and, and the how yeah so I'm going to go through it uh, following the numerical sequence here from one to uh, nine. So let's go uh, jump in. So this is the what. So one, two, three, your key resources, your key activities, and your key partners. So if you read, uh, I don't know, I might be butchering it. If you read a lot of like the Sun Tzu out of the war, you, in order to win the war, you need to first understand yourself. So how do you understand yourself? You need to be able to know what are the resources you have, what are the resources you can get, your activities that you're going to be uh, doing mostly in that company, and then who you will be working with. So first we go to the key resources. Key resources sounds quite intuitive. So what are the things that is important? It could be tangible, but it also can be intangible things. So we talk about IGM Epic is something about synthetic biology, right? Usually the intellectual resources are the things that are the key differentiating factors for, for, for this. Uh, but going through list by list, it should be the physical resources. Firstly, the physical resources is the most uh, okay, obvious no, one, right? It's the company, <laughs> the location, <laughs> the then you have the intellectual resources, which are the trademarks, the copyrights. Uh, if you um, you have the IP as well, uh, intellectual property um, uh, copyrights, and then there's the financing, and lastly the human resources. All these key resources are important because you uh, okay. So because uh, you will need to know what are the things that you need to uh, collect, what are the things you need to keep. And what are the things that you can afford to keep? Because resources uh, can sometimes mean that you need to spend uh, some. Um, you need to spend them in order to be able to get back what you put in. Now you have the resources. You also need to have the key activities. So usually the core key activities involves in uh, production, marketing, and sales, IT, legal, financial, and manpower. But this is what the business model canvas usually is. But I would usually think that in a startup, roles are usually starting from two. If you're not in a technical role, you are in a sales role. That sounds like an oversimplification, right? But that is usually the, the most case. If, you, if, you don't, if you're not the one building the products, meaning that you know the technicalities of the products, the legalities of the products, the how uh, the product works and how it, 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 the specification of the product, you need to be the one selling them. 
So an example of a seller would be the sales team, right? Of course, but but you would know also that the CEO is the main uh, uh, salesperson or the first salesperson of the company. So there's these two activities, selling and building, are the two essential parts of a startup. But as it grows, you will of course be more focused, be more um, uh, 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 more specific on what you do, and that's when you have the production, the manpower, finance, legal IT, etc. Moving on to key partners, it'll be about the people that you work with. People that you work with are not only the people that you that buys your product, which are the consumers. There's a lot of people that actually are around it. And mainly you'll need to deal with like investors, your suppliers, your distributors, and also your developers if you actually outsource this development. And also you're not you can't you can um, go away from your competitors if it's uh, if it's an industry that is uh, not new. And for these partners, why you need to identify them is because you want to know what are their motivations. So in order to know that, uh, if, if you know their motivations, you will be able to do these three things. You can optimize and you can do economies of scale. Um, you can know what kind of partners to uh, acquire and what kind of resources to acquire from these partners and also to be able to reduce the risk and uncertainty from, from the um, activities that you're going to be doing. Going into the partnership style, uh, there are different kinds of partnerships that you can make. First, you can make strategic alliance between non-competitors. You can even make partnerships between competitors. This is in the case like, uh, for example, Grab and uh, Uber back then in Singapore, where they try to work together to get a good price that can benefit them. Or you can also do a joint venture to develop new business, especially when uh, a company that is from one region wants to penetrate another uh, geography. Like, for example, a company from Europe wants to, to go to Singapore. Usually they will do a joint venture with a local company. And also the buyer-seller relationship to ensure the reliable supplies. So, for example, this is a case study in uh, biotechnology. Uh, the number of partnership deals between the life science company actually increases over time because they found out that um, working together actually can strengthen the, their, their um, negotiating power to the consumers, etc. And because they work together, they each can have specialization by focusing on their strength. Some can focus on the R&D while, while the others can actually uh, focus on the testing and production and marketing, which is, uh, this is an example of our uh, COVID vaccine, which is the Pfizer BioNTech, where BioNTech is actually the one that did the R&D, where Pfizer actually upscaled the, um, the testing and the production of this uh, found uh, vaccine. So yeah, uh, there's a learning activity, but I think we'll, we'll We'll jump right up because uh, there's still some more slides to go through. Uh, so secondly, it's about value mapping. So we know now the, the three uh, steps, right? The key resources, key activities, and key partners. Now we talk about value mapping. We need to know the partner's motivation and commitment in everyday life and work. In order to know this, we need to be able to uh, know what is important 
and not important for them. And knowing this will actually be able to make us know how to align it with what our company is doing. So if you look into the um, uh, a value map, that is, if you can find this in the internet, there's a, you can actually map what are the things that are um, important to them and you need to align them with what the organization or what your company or your startup is going to be valuing. More often than not, if the value are aligned, the partnership will always uh, work more smoothly. So I'm going to give you an example. For example, right, you are a company that focuses on providing affordable drug to people who are um, in more financial need. So for example, you produce generic uh, drugs like uh, generic cancer medicine. Your value would be to bring affordable drug to the patients. But if you go to a high-end premier private hospital that values in making as much profit from the high-end customers, this might not be alignment of the values. So even though they are actually uh, a buyer and seller of drugs themselves and they need distribute, uh, distributors and pro producers of drugs to sell to the patients, your, your, your um, product might not be bought by these um, companies or by these hospitals because the values are different. You can contrast that to if you're selling to a government hospital who tries to provide an accessible or uh, provide the most cost-effective drug to their patients. After the value mapping, we need to take a look at the competence mapping because after motivation, even though if you want to help you need to know whether they're competent enough uh, to do that or not. So competence mapping is to know what are the areas of strength that you have. Competence mapping can be done for organization and also can be done on an individual basis. So if, you're, if you want to do it on your individual basis, usually when you do it, don't do it on yourself because you will have uh, some sort of bias. So what you can do is probably you can gather two to five people around you and uh, ask them, uh, what are the uh, strengths uh, that you have in, at work or at studies? And this can actually know what the competency is. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, this can also be done with your organization or your startup where you do um, some sort of interview with your key partners or your first few potential partners where you can... Uh, ask them what are the things that you are doing well and what are the things that you can improve on. And this is, uh, as time goes, you will be able to know your competence. And lastly, after the value and then the competence, now there's the network mapping. So now that you understand your competence, where your area is strength and your weaknesses is, you'll be able to know who are the people in your network who might be able to help you in this current or future project or in the current or future startup. And you can start from the inner circle moving outwards. Usually you look at the network mapping like this. So usually you go start from the uh, close relations, people that you know, then after that friends of friends. And it goes, um, there's four quadrants where there's the education, which are your classmates work uh, as in your work friends, uh, your family and friends, and then your other people. And you can write down there and then you can uh, look for people who can work with you. 
So now the what has been answered. So it's the key resources, key activities, and key partners. Second, we need to know the why. The why is why should people buy from you? Why should people purchase your services or product from your startup? And um, these are usually coming in the form of value propositions. So value propositions, as it's called, right, it's about what is your proposal of value? Where do you choose to compete? What is it that you're strong in? So your strength can come in many different ways, right? Uh, usually, this is a differentiating factor from what you provide to what your closest competitor provide. Value can come in the form of service, information, knowledge, delivery, convenience, experience. And then it all comes in and it gives a different outcome for the client. So if you imagine, um, if, you, if you study some uh, basic economics, right? Usually you, you, you'll know that um, demand will be generated depending on the price in uh, elasticity as well as the absolute price in comparison to others, right? Um, you can actually change your price to make more demand, but you can also make your, your product or service more price inelastic. The problem with price war is that if you can change, if you only tweak or you only differentiate your product based on the price, all you can do is you can spiral down to a uh, price war where you cut down your own margin and you cut down the whole industry's margin. But if you do a different service differentiation or product differentiation, you can keep that margin and still be able to keep the customers because your product is unique compared to the closest competitor. So what makes an element of a value proposition? So these are some of the things that I think that makes element, but I don't think it's all. What is the, um, the baseline is that as long as it differentiates from the other service so much that the, um, the competitor is different from yours. Uh, yes, uh, Javier, I think you are saying, excuse me, is there anything I can help? Okay, I think I'll move on then. So yeah, so these are the 12 things. Moving on, how many pro value propositions can you create from all these 12 things or more? So the more value proposition you have, the better. But then again, it's not all about the quantity, but it's about the quality of each of these. If you rem imagine uh, something that's very, it's a good example of this value proposition is an, it's an Apple or an iPhone. Well, the iPhone is so different from other uh, handheld devices or other phones, such that it, it, it is different in terms of its design and in terms of its brand, that it doesn't matter how much the cost is compared to other phones. It can, it can be sold about $2,000 uh, Singapore uh, dollars in, in, for one phone compared to a, an, a, maybe a Samsung phone about $600 to $900. And it still commands quite a lot of like demand from the people because they know it's different from the others. So this value proposition is key in order to make your um, product stand out from the rest and be successful. So that's the why, the value proposition. Usually I will have an exercise of you to do the what and why first, but maybe after this one, uh, if you would like me to see your business model, you can send me what your what and why's are, and maybe I can give some comments. 
So moving on from why, it'll be the who. So we have the what, we have the why. Next, we need the who. Who are we going to be working with? Who are we going to be getting the, the customers from? And the um, who are going to be getting our products? First, we'll have to see the customer segments. Customer segments have many ways to um, uh, uh, divide the pie, so to speak. We can look at it in terms of demographics, geographics, behavioral, psychology, and B2B even. What, how to make a good customer segment is to make it um, mutually exclusive from each other. Meaning that if we can, if we can make the segments um, unique from each other, so that in order to achieve or in order to um, obtain the customers in one segment is going to be different from the other segment, that is a good customer segmentation. Maybe I can clarify with an example. For example, like um, newspapers, right? Newspapers, the customer segment could have the older people who are... Um, maybe 50 to 60 years old or 50 above. And then we have the younger people, uh, teenage to young adults from ranging from 16 to maybe uh, 40 years old. These are good customer segments. Why? Because the way we can reach out to these older generations versus the way we can reach out to the younger generations are different. The older one maybe are more mm, uh, uh, familiar or accustomed or even prefer the printed out uh, papers where you can read the papers with on a on a piece of paper as usual. While the younger one would probably prefer to read it on the phone or on their devices. And the way that we can reach out to them to buy our newspaper would be in the different ways. Maybe the older population they would want to see the the advertisement of the newspaper from their TV, which they usually still watch. While the younger one look. Uh, views it from the social media or from their um from the uh online like google etc so that's how to make a, diff a good customer segmentation so once we know the customer segmentation we know who where are the uh, population of target that we want to go so if you imagine it you're traveling to a destination you know where to go but in order to go there, they can have different ways. Like, for example, I want to go from Singapore to Jakarta. Probably I can take uh, a, a car. Uh, well, I can't take a car. I can take a boat to Batam and then fly over to Jakarta, or I can fly directly over to Jakarta. So this is the same as uh, channels. Do you want to have some middleman layer, like a wholesaler or retailer, or you can go to direct consumers? Uh, or you can even use agent. Uh, the reason why we need to know the different channels is because we want to know how much to price a product and to save that margin in order to for them to be able for the middleman to be able to enjoy the um the the profit as well and usually the less middleman there is the the more margin we will have and um and the way that we can approach or we can uh, create our product will be different comparing to the where we sell the products. This is an example. So for producer, uh, for if you sell to the wholesaler, you are able to um, afford to do less on marketing 
and focus more on cost effectiveness, making the uh, product easy to distribute and also easy to or, or cheaper for the wholesaler to buy. While for consumers, you can make it more um, uh, more differentiated, more interesting, more easy to unbox or more interesting to unbox, etc. So, for example, there's a channel for ebooks. For example, the channels could be differentiated the matrix like this, where there's offline channel, online channel, direct and indirect. And we can actually look into the types of or the different activities of each of the teams, like the marketing, sales, and distribution, and then see what are the key activities that these different teams are going to have to do uh, related to the different channels that we're going to go. So that's all about channels. Uh, we move on to the customer relationships. Uh, customer relationships is usually uh, a subset of two things, relationship management and employee management. So we need to be able to know what, how do they interact with our product and how do we give uh, feedback to these uh, to these customers and how the customers can actually give it back to us. You know, when we develop this kind of relationship, this is actually increases their stickiness and increases their customer's lifetime value. So in customer relationship, there's a concept called CAC over LTV or customer acquisition cost over long-term value. And the, uh, the better one is if your customer acquisition costs is, is shorter while the long-term value is higher, making a, a LTV, LTV over CAC. So the bigger the, the value is, the better because uh, you need to put in some money to obtain these customers. And if the customer is only coming to you once, then the money that you spent to, or to, to, to market to this, page, to this customer, to, to bring the product to this customer, it's not going to be worth it. This is uh, where we can imagine the LTV over CAC for subscription services like Netflix, uh, where Netflix actually gives, if you remember in their early days, they give like one month for free uh, for you to actually enjoy. And then subsequently they will increase the price and then they will increase much more. So if you imagine the customer acquisition for that would be that one month free program for the, for the customers. And then the lifetime value would be the accumulation of money that they get for how long the, the, the person's going to be subscribing the service. So we need to look into that LTV, for, LTV over CAC value. So the pyramid of uh, customer loyalty is uh, where do you spend your time? So usually it starts out from customer finding where you do target prospect and prospecting. And then you need to close from a prospect to a customer and a customer to a client. And then customer loyalty comes in when the client becomes a supporter, an advocate and a partner. That's when it comes in. So how to create customer relationship? Some of the uh, ideas, but this is not uh, at all exhaustive, would be to have like self-service, automated services, communities, and co-creation. Basically, what it, what it actually underlies for everything of this is that it needs to be a consistent experience for all and for every kind of purchase. Consistent 
the present experience for all uh, 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 for all kind of purchase. So the reason why we have like self service and automated service is because when it comes to when it reaches to this stage, it means that they are able to know how to obtain the service, how to consume the service, and how to troubleshoot it themselves. On top of that, or not only self service and uh, automated service, how to make customer relationship more sticky is to have a community and more co-creation within the space. So you need to make the customers have a little bit of like a skin in the game, make them have uh, a feeling of the, they are also the ones who create this. Because when you create something, you'll be more um, invested, at least emotionally on it. Right? So that's where we think about customer relationship. So uh, one thing that we can actually uh, think about is like how, what type of relationship do we want to establish with the customers? So I, I bet that all of you are aspiring to uh, sort of build up a startup that is in the biology or health tech or biotech sector. You want to have like your customers would likely be maybe uh, big pharma probably. You might sell it over to the hospitals in the, in the future. So what kind of relationship do you want to establish? What are the motivations of these hospitals in order for you to be able to um, work together with them? Why should these hospitals work with small startups like yours? So to, to know the psyche on why or the motivation of these customers, you will be able to know the type of relationship you want to establish. And then how do we maintain these customers? How costly are they? And how can they integrate? How are they integrated with the rest of your business model? I can give you a, a, quite a good example of how, uh, how a, a partnership with a hospital uh, when you're selling a genetic test may be, may be too costly for you to, um, to maintain probably. A hypothetical would be when you have sunk in quite a lot of effort to train the hospital in terms of providing a genetic service, but you understand after a while that the hospitals is serving uh, patients that are of the lower income status that might not be able to purchase a genetic testing. So that could be uh, something that can uh, show you that this might not be a mutually beneficial kind of relationship. So now we know the who, uh, we know the what, why, and who already. In the end, it's all about the quantity. And the quantity is when you ask how much. How much means that you need to look at your revenue streams co compared to your cost structure, your plus and your minus. Revenue stream is something that's more interesting, so I'll go first. Revenue stream is basically how you monetize your product. You can have the best product in the world, but if there's nobody going to give you money for it, it might not be a good startup, right? Uh, so... Basically, revenue streams is the way you can actually have the uh, value addedness to the customer's life. How do, we, how do you be able to uh, make your customers exchange what they, they hard earned money to get the benefit from you? So you can do it in you know, different ways. And usually, not always that the consumers or the consumers of the product is equals to the Payer of the product, you can find many kinds of uh, many cases where the payers are not equal to the consumers. Like for example, in terms of 
maybe uh was it called a government kind of uh, healthcare subsidy if a government pays for a certain drug to be free for their patients the patients are the one consuming the product but then the government are the one paying for it so there's two different um values that you need to balance between these two these are just an example there are several examples of ways you can monetize the product and basically it's just for a uh, something that you you want to know so revenue streams can come in from different form so how many revenue streams are you creating i would i would assume that maybe uh, a, a biotech or a deep tech startup might not be using a lot of like advertising and merchandising and uh, and con- content but uh, it's not uh, a biotech company does not always have to provide their product on a one off basis maybe you can strike up a partnership with like a a pharma company for them to um uh test out their molecules on your platform at a at a at a recurring fee uh they don't have to purchase your whole software or doesn't have to purchase the whole um project for example So yeah that's that is the way you can creatively create a sustainable revenue stream is what i would think and this will be compared against the cost structure like what are the resources activity and the partner cost the infrastructures that you need to uh, set up the operational uh, cost and the cost of sales and then your 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 manpower costs like your payroll your benefits your bonus structure and the tax and then the end financial cost uh how much is the interest on the payment that you or on the loans that you take how much of the money that the uh investors actually going to take in the future so this is what makes into a cost structure so a cost structure you'll on a on a very big scale you'll see it into a a fixed cost and a variable cost fixed costs are usually baseline costs uh, that you need to cover and a variable cost is usually depending on how much um product or how much service you provide uh in a certain period of time so yeah so a learning activity also is to actually identify your business costs uh what are these four things that you need to look into and by having this we'll actually be able to help you in terms of how you will price your product in the future so maybe a, a case a two case studies to help to solidify the learning firstly probably for uber um the key partners would be uh one person like drivers who own cars uh, because they are the ones who need to drive the car for the customers right the activity would be to have a driver driver onboarding marketing to balance the supply and demand and then the platform and algo development um for the key resources you need to have like the algorithms the uber platform as well and then the value is the the key here which is the taxi on demand cash free easy to order and blah 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 and all this and if you see the interesting part maybe is the revenue stream because they have the the usual pay per ride charge but they also have the differentiating of premium uber brands as well as the surge pricing another example would be the linkedin platform uh yeah maybe you can just take a look at this one it's um basically quite straightforward 
But if you see the revenue streams here, also they are quite um, creative in creating it because they not only have um, like the usual uh, free offering and premium subscription, they also have like marketing solutions, hiring solutions, etc. So uh, maybe something to take home to, to think about. Imagine you intend to open a cafe, offering a, a gourmet coffee and tea uh, with French pastries at the first floor of a, of a condominium. There's a coffee tea nearby, and the, the condo condominium has a significant amount of like Japanese Korean residents. How would you create the business model canvas? This might sound like a very um, off-topic thing, but it's it's simple enough to be able to practice using the business model canvas first before you move on to something more complex, which usually is the case for bio biotechnology. Yeah, so this is another recap. And my, my uh, end note would be to play to your strength. There's going to be thousands of competitors out there. Most of them are dinosaurs, huge. You will start out as a cockroach, but in the end, in the evolution, when the dinosaurs are wiped out, the cockroaches are the ones that lives. So how do you know you, ha you have what you need to stand up from the competition? Yeah, so create your BMC. That's all from my side. Thank you so much for your attention. So if you have any questions, please, please feel free. Uh, maybe I can open the floor for live questions first before I go on to the chat, if there's any. Um, I will contribute the first question. So okay. for a lot of folks here, they're um, still in the academia side of things. How can they start to assess cost structures and revenue streams and think about those broader things when they're still in such a you know early stage? Even we know that even then it's really important, especially if you want to go on to get follow-on funding. So do you have any advice for them? Right. So um, this is a good question. Thank you so much. Uh, I know academia, you still need to juggle with your usual classes, your um, research probably that you need to do. But usually what I will say is um, start simple. Start simple, start small things. Uh, start with doing a small business that requires a very simple solution. I got an example for a friend of mine. Um, he's, he's now leading a quite a successful a series A uh, fintech uh, company, but he started out uh, selling shirts, t-shirts, uh, printed t-shirts in the university. And then he found out where to get the supplier for that. He gets the net network on the demand, how to assess the market. And from there, he can actually move on to more complex things where the players or the customers can be different. It's like you're when you're riding a bicycle right you start up with something simple first before you graduate onto something more difficult uh, biotech is not it's not an easy industry to start on for a entrepreneur i would say that that's why if you look into a slew of like almost all um, startups that are successful in uh, biotech they are headed by a very old white men who is in their 40s and their 50s because you need to build that network and it's it's not a it's not a quick quick um 
uh, industry, so to speak. I'm not trying to uh, to demotivate anyone, but that is just the case because we play a lot with a lot of uh, uh, people's um, lives because it, it the products would usually uh, affect other people's lives. Case I hope that helps. So the the gist of it is that um, start start with a simple kind of uh, uh, product and business first, and and learn from there. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that, um, but definitely worry not. Uh, there are these big iGEM companies that are now led by a new generation of bio entrepreneurs like Opentrons and Benchlings, so we can change the precedence around um, old white men leading companies there. Yeah. And I, we had a question earlier um, from Carolyn. Carolyn, do you want to ask directly or would you like me to read it out? Um, I guess I can ask directly. Um, I guess like I was like, taking a look at the uh, like customer channels and you had mentioned like the benefit of having like fewer middlemen, like men was like having a higher margin. Um, and I guess like question I'd ask was like, so I guess in that case, like what would be the benefit of having like more, like, I guess more middleman and like, I guess yeah. like, how do you decide between whether um, to go for more of like a, um, a direct pipeline versus um, one that has more like um, actors yes. in it? That's, that's an excellent uh, question, Caroline. Thank you so much. Um, so I don't have time to go into the set, um uh, theory, but you can look up into something called Porter's Five Forces. Porter's Five Forces is a business concept where you, you can see how uh, different power can um, adjust, uh, can fight against each other to, to set the price. In the Porter's Five Forces, there's something called the uh, uh, the buyer's power and the cons customer consumer's power. So what is the middleman's doing? Uh, what does the middleman do is basically it actually increases the negotiation power of the um, provider, which is us, uh, so that they can get better pricing when they sell it to the consumers. So this is actually beneficial when your company is just starting out and you can't get and to enjoy the economies of scale as quickly. So for example, you have like a behemoth, like a, like a GSK making paracetamol with maybe one cent uh, per per tablet uh, versus you who may be making a decent paracetamol, but it costs for thirty cents per tablet. You wouldn't be able to compete with them directly because you don't have the the power of um, uh, uh, scale. And this is when you can actually work with other uh, wholesalers where you can bulk uh, per, uh, where they can bulk purchase your product so that you can give them. Uh, better price, and you maybe can compete with the with JSK or the likes of the bigger companies. So it's not a it's not a preference, but usually it's a necessity when you engage middlemen, and when you are powerful enough to go straight to the customers themselves. Usually, you'll find out they usually you you can cut out the middlemen as you grow up. I hope that helps. I hope that answers. I see. Uh, thank you. That makes more sense. That makes sense. So a good a good uh, concept would be the Portus Five Forces. You can do some 
a reading on that. Uh, okay. Uh, hi, this is Augustine, and uh, I would like to ask you about how to make the first uh, customers, uh, considering that we are currently making the uh, raw materials that are produced by the cell factory. And I want to uh, know how can we really make the first sale? How to make the first sale? That's a good question, Augustine. Thank you. Um, so. The first sale requires two things, right? Is you need to have uh, a strategy that comes in the form of maybe the model business model canvas as well as grid, right? Because um, grid means that you need to be able to be persevering enough to go to everyone that you think can make. Yeah, that fulfills your uh, target target per, uh, consumer. Uh, why I say that there's not going to be uh, like a silver bullet or an easy way to get your first customer is because nobody knows you yet and you don't know them yet and how, how to get them. Uh, so you'll need to do a lot of um, pitching, a lot of talking, a lot of like um, networking with these potential customers. Uh, one, one kind of a trick that I think works about 90% of the time when you want to get a customer is if you want to ask for, if you want to ask for money, ask for their opinion. If you want to ask for their opinion, ask for their money. For example, right? If you come to uh, like a, let's say a company X saying, "Hey, I want to sell you this raw material. It's very good. Cost you twenty dollars. Would you want to buy it?" They will look into it. They have no idea who you are. So they will tell you, okay, what you need, maybe you need to have this, 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 then I maybe buy it. Then they give you a list. If they're kind enough, if they're not kind, they say, they will buy it. I don't need you. A second way is that you can ask them, hey, what do you think of this? Does it fulfill what you require? If not, what do you need to add? Then they will let you know. And they will, and because they are also involved in the process of getting that product uh, specifically for them, they will be happy to buy it in the future once you have change it to their preference. Yeah, I hope that helps. All the best. Uh, thank you. I think that the participation of our clients is quite important. Yeah. You, you must know that when you are doing a startup, right? I think perfection is your number one enemy. You will, mm -hmm. never, you will never achieve that, I think. Uh, and if you wait, too long for your product to be perfect, it won't, it will never be. So what you need to do is get out, get it out soon, get it tested soon. Like see who are the early adopters and then work with them as soon as possible so that you can, you can improve it based on their liking, not based on what you think they like. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's very helpful. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a question from Temurazi. Sorry if I said it wrongly. What if any guarantees? What if any guarantees exist for IGM ideas to not be adopted by other entrepreneurs? What protects our prototypes from not being stolen? So I think this goes into the realm of like uh, intellectual property. Um, usually, if you work with universities, they will um, manage that. 
in terms of getting your IP. Uh, maybe the iGEM friends can uh, help to answer this one. Yeah, I think it's the, it's a little bit tricky when it comes to IP and that as a part of iGEM, you're required to give a pitch, I guess. Um, but it does come to novelty as long as you don't disclose the entire process of how someone can replicate what you do, you can still consider it novel. And novelty is um, more nuanced than it seems, right? Even being able to switch out one part or being able to say, hey, you know, we use this sort of technology, but not specifying the exact um, thing you use um, is a good way. Actually, we're going to have a workshop later some point this year on um, how to navigate IP. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for that. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, well, if there's any more questions, I feel free to ask me, but, um, if there isn't, maybe I can, um, if you are interested in sharing with me your business model canvas and ask me what you think, or if you want to, um, connect with me through LinkedIn, please feel free to do so. I am going to be sharing it here. Um, and I would be very happy to just, Give what what I think. Um, just give an opinion. You know, uh, if you need any uh, to bounce any ideas, I'll be very happy to help. This guy's so nice. I love him. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, we really appreciate having you here. Um, I'm gonna stop the recording now. Recording stopped. Uh, we've really appreciated having you here. This was super invaluable um, to everybody here. The best way to convey all of your entrepreneurship ideas in one slide is the business model canvas. And it doesn't matter if you're early stage, going through the thought process is what, you know, puts you in the first steps of being an entrepreneur. So highly recommend. And uh, to whoever, whoever said this person's really nice, I completely agree. Networking is one of the most important things you can do uh, through your career, entrepreneur or not. So please take this up. Uh, reach out, build a business model canvas and get opinions. Um, thank you so much, Fideli. Um, speaking of networking, we have a little networking session after. Uh, I will do a quick demo of how you can get in, but we will have a quick break before that. Thank you so much. We will reconvene at 8.05. Stay on the line, everybody. Uh, we will send out the recording and the slides from today. Um, be sure to go up in the chat and get Fadil's um, LinkedIn and email and send him the business model canvas when you're done. I'm going to close the Zoom room now, but see you all on the link. And thank you so much for being here today. Goodbye, everybody.
uh, attached to all the IgEs, which are the, antib the antibodies responsible for allergies and the other a six billion dollar valuation and over a thousand employees so no reason that iDrummers can't do that today and i think that's that's what i'm most passionate about and everyone here has a different passion that they bring to the table but yeah that's pretty exciting to hear actually yeah, yeah. or i guess it's like I don't know, or at least eventually it's like something I had like used in like, I guess, classes before, but then I guess I didn't realize it's like, I guess, built from iGemmers. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, there are iGemmers from MIT and same with OpenTrons. I don't know if you were there yesterday's session. Kennedy works at OpenTrons and the founders were iGemmers. That's why they're so involved with the iGem network. Same with Ginkgo, Ginkgo and Asimov and a whole bunch of companies. There's over a hundred of them. A lot of the big names, right? Mammoth, they're all linked to iDrum in many ways. So I guess just to clarify, like make sure I'm like understanding right, like um well one thing it's like getting started and like thinking about like this, like delving into entrepreneurship like as part of the project. Um like it's like we can start like either like during the cycle, but there's also like opportunities to start like after we've kind of like 